worship uh, at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Welcome to the Fellowship Hall. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, who are guests, welcome to you also. Normally, when we meet for church, we do so over there. But uh, this summer, because of the heat, although we're not feeling it today, uh, we've moved to the Fellowship Hall, and uh, we hope that you're comfortable uh, as you join us for worship today. When we do so, uh, when we gather for church, we use a printed bulletin and also slides that tell us the things that we'll be saying and singing together. We also have people who aren't in the room with us who are worshiping after the fact, and so we want to welcome those of you at home joining us for our recorded service after the fact. Uh, we pray the Lord's peace and blessing be with you wherever uh, you join us for church today. Today we uh, gather and we have a chance to sing, uh, to hear the word, and also to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But before we do that, I have a couple of announcements to highlight for us about things happening in the life of our church. One of those is that right here in this room, less than a week from today, we have a guest coming. We have a missionary coming to visit us, Steve Freeswick, and his family, next Saturday. And we're doing a breakfast at 10 a.m., brunch, technically. Uh, please come and join us for that. It's a chance to hear about the work that he's doing. Steve's been a partner of our church in ministry for many years. It's going to be really good to catch up with him. The breakfast is free. Uh, if you can make it and you know that now, there's a sign up right over there in the corner. If you could please put your name on there, that'll help us to know how many people are going to So that's Saturday, uh, week from today almost at 10 a.m. The other thing that I want to highlight for you is going to require a friend of mine to come and join me for a second. Uh, you, many of you know that for the last several months, we've been looking and praying together for a new uh, director of children's ministries at Pleasant Street. Uh, Kate's been doing this work. Uh, for a number of years, and it seemed like it was time for a transition. We've been praying as a council about that. Kate has also been praying. And the good news today is that instead of reporting that this is her last day, we are happy to let you know that Kate will be staying. It's been a period of the sermon for everyone. This seems to be good to us and what the Lord is leading us in. Kate, do you want to say anything about that? Yes, I wanted to just share real quick. I'm all of a sudden getting nervous for talking in the microphone, but I'll share real quick um, that some of the questions that people have asked me was, you know, are you doing this because we just need somebody? And um, what I wanted to share is a little story of after our children and youth service, I was excitedly talking about, oh, next time when we do this, and other events that we can do and oh let's do this and I'm talking to Matthew and Matthew's kind of looking at me like this and then I pause and my interpretation is he's asking in his head like are you staying or are you going and I, I pause and we kind of look at each other and in my head I'm going am I staying or am I going and um, it I just got more and more excited about things that are happening here and just I have so much joy um, even in the challenging times with the children. And so I knew that it was um, time for me to stay, not time for me to go. So I wanted to share that. And one other question that I keep getting um, that I wanted to share the answer to is um, people say, isn't that going to be a lot? You're going to go teach and you're going to be doing this. And it's actually going to be a much, much lighter schedule than the last two and a half years of my life when I've been going to school. 
school full time and and working and family. So it'll be a much, much lighter schedule. And so I assure you that I will have time and energy and I just kind of feel some fresh energy for this ministry. So. We're grateful for your work and all the ways you served our church and glad that this one can continue. Speaking of children, uh, today is Family Sunday, which is another opportunity for us as a body to remember by worshiping all together that we are the body of Christ together. That God doesn't have kids and grandkids and aunts and uncles, that we are all together no matter our age, brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, would you rise in body of spirit? Let's worship the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make him known, known among the nations what he has done. Oh, all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let us let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice.
you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. Now, historic creeds like the Apostles' Creed help us to worship the mysteries and confess our faith. So please, please join me with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
This is the trustworthy and precious word that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. May God be gracious and merciful to us all. I'd like to invite the deacons to come up for our morning offerings. This is the way that we can respond to God's grace and care. Give our time and talents and our financial gifts. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's pray. Although nothing is equal to your abundance, Lord, we give with glad hearts. We thank you, Lord. We are not worthy, but you love us. I pray that this offering pleases you. Helps to grow your kingdom and spread the word.
minutes. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Second week in a row. Friends, I'd like to read from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. With that, friends, the peace of Christ is with you. And also How to act, 
Um, you need to learn how to act like a character, right? Because you are assigned this role as a character, and you have to learn how to act like that character. Okay, let's play a game for a minute. So everybody stand up. You can stand up too if you want to play the game. This is an imitating game. So do you know what it means if I say imitate me? What does that mean? Do you know? What does it mean? Yeah, you're going to copy me or you're going to act like me. Okay, so we're going to try this to see how you do. So we'll do a practice one to make sure you know what to do. So you're going to act like me. So if I put my hand up, what will you do? You're going to put your hand up because you're going to act just like me, right? All right, so let's see. I'm going to stand up like that. I'm going to turn around. Okay, good, good. I'm going to point to pass my hand. And I'm going to wave the pass I'm going to, let's see, what else can I do? Pat my head. Okay, you've got it. You know how to act like me. You know how to imitate me. Let's do another one. Pat my Jump. Good, good, good. Okay, and one last one. We're going to sit down. Now, at the beginning, I was pretending a little bit. I told you that I was preparing for my acting career. I heard a few laughs back there because they know I'm not preparing for an acting career. And I was saying that I'm going to take a role on the stage. Well, did you know that Jesus took a role when he came here to earth? Well, he wasn't just acting, though, like I was doing. He truly became human in every way. He was still God, too, which is a little confusing because he was actually a man and God at the same time. But Jesus set aside his power as God and so that he could become a man. He took the humble, lowly role, kind of like how I said being a tree in a play is kind of that lower role. He took the part of a regular person instead of powerful God. He also came to serve, not to be served. Jesus didn't live in a palace. He didn't have lots of bodyguards. And he didn't have fancy clothes. Jesus helped and healed people. He even washed the feet of his friends. Have you ever done that before? No, probably not. But I bet you have helped people before. I think I've seen all of you help people before. Ultimately, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and grant us eternity in heaven someday. Jesus did that for us, and he wants us to act like him. Are we perfect? Are you perfect? No, no, I'm not perfect. We will never be perfect like Jesus because we're sinful. Remember the game we played. Now, when you were imitating me, did you do it perfectly? Probably not perfectly and exactly like me. But I saw you trying your best, right? So we can try our best to imitate Jesus. 
We can take on that role when we follow his example of humility. This means putting other people before ourselves, like not fighting for the first spot in line, like not fighting for the biggest piece of cake. I gotta remember that one. And not fighting for the best things that we might think we deserve. It means doing things for other people and loving and serving them instead of expecting others to do things for us. So let's see, just like maybe memorizing lines of a play, we can try to memorize parts of the Bible. Have you ever memorized some verses from the Bible? Yeah, I try, I try. When we read the Bible, we can get to know Jesus better, and then we can try our best to act like Jesus. All right, could you help me pray now? Repeat after me as we pray, okay? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to come to earth as a human. Help us to be humble like he was. And put others before ourselves. Thank you for forgiveness and grace. Thank you for your love. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
So some of the words uh, we're going to say together, we're going to say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and I'll tell you when to do that. And then some of those words I'll say on our behalf. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you as grateful children in the presence of a loving Father. We praise you, Father, for you were pleased to rescue us from sin when we were chained to it. Praise you, Son, for by your death we're made alive and given the right to be called children of God and your brothers and sisters. Praise you, Holy Spirit, for you are the power of God at work within us, testifying in the depths of our being that we really are forgiven. So we come together to this church service enlivened by the good news and reminded that we really can trust you. And so it is as an act of trust that we lift up to you the places in our lives and in the world that need care. We pray by uh, we pray and enact our trust by praying as Jesus taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And this is not to temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we come to you and you are our Father. Hallowed be your name. Lord, there are some of us here this morning who are very aware of your splendor and glory. We give you praise easily because we see how beautiful you are and that is the most beautiful thing in our lives. But for some of us, we find that hard to see today. The world is heavy on our shoulders and our lives feel empty of good things. We are in pain. We feel lost. We worry about our kids or the future. We are sad or lonely. Lord, reveal yourself to us that we might see that you are our loving Father, that you are beautiful and holy and good. We ask, O oh God, that you would put your name on our lips, and that you'd help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all of the things that you do and what shines forth from them, your power, your wisdom, your kindness, your justice, your mercy, and your truth. And help us to direct our lives, the things that we think and say and do, in line with that, so that your name is honored and praised. Lord, we pray together your kingdom come. When we look at this world, we see war, we see bad things happening, and people enacting injustice. We see selfishness. We see it in Ukraine. We see it in our own country. And we see it in many other places, too. We ask that in all of these places where we see it, that there would be a great measure of justice and peace here and now. Lord, we look at the world today, and we also see that it is very hot. There is too much rain in some places and not enough in others. We grieve the massive forest fires across Canada and all that has been lost there. In the western United States and around the Mediterranean in Europe, Lord, watch over those who fight these fires and comfort the families of firefighters who have died. We also grieve too much water. We think of flooding in Vermont and New York and Nova Scotia and all the places where 
communities struggle under disaster and low ground. We grieve these and many other places in our world where creation goes groans. And so with Christians across the world, we pray and long for your kingdom to come. And today we pray for all of our brothers and sisters in these places, so that through their care for one another and their communities, that people might glimpse something of your kingdom coming through them. Lord, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Help us and all people to turn from a life of satisfying our desires and instead to be people who desire you and your will above all others. For your will and your desires for this world alone are good. Help us to carry out that work that you've called us to as willing and faithfully as the angels of heaven. Lord, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We remember and we look around and see that there are places around the world and in our community where there isn't enough food. Lord, some of us struggle to make ends meet. And so we pray for the work of the Northbridge Association of Churches, our food pantry, the emergency shelter, and the congregations in town, and the support agencies that help provide food and financial assistance and other resources. Lord, we look at our own church and our lives, and we thank you for the food that we have, a church, a home, don't let us take it for granted. Instead, remind us that you are the only source of everything good we have. Help us to know that neither work nor worry can do any good for us, but only your blessing. And so help us to give up trust in ourselves and in other creatures and find our trust in you alone. Lord, the Bible tells us that your presence is our daily bread. And so we ask that you would be present and feed us with trust. Be present with those who are transitioning, traveling, or getting ready to move. Be with those who are starting new jobs, or going on vacation, or going off to college. We pray for Beth D. moving closer to Emily and the family. We pray for Allie getting ready to leave for college, and for all those who will be returning to college. We pray for those in our church who have finished studies or vocational training programs and are transitioning home and looking for work. We pray for those who start new jobs, or new relationships. Lord, we ask that you also be present with those of us who need your presence in the midst of surgery, treatment, or healing. We pray for Deb B. healing from <clears throat> surgery, for Rick and Leanne, for Jack and Faye, for Aline, for Hank and Deb. And we pray for those who are given care in our congregation, too. Those who are looking after a spouse, or a friend, children, or parents, or both. Giving care is hard and long work. Lord, may they find your presence in their lives, showing up in surprising and ordinary ways, like manna in the desert. Lord, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lord, there are places that we see in the world where people struggle mightily to Sometimes horrible things happen to us or in our community. Sometimes we cause great harm. Lord, forgiveness is always hard when we hurt each other, and in the face of evil is excruciating. In our marriages, friendships, families, and churches where we find it hard to forgive, Lord Jesus, help us, even as you have just reminded us in our confession. That because of the blood of Jesus, you will not hold against us the sins we do or the evil that clings to us. 
Forgive us just as we are fully determined to forgive our neighbors. We ask, God, that you would lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, uphold us and make us strong through your Holy Spirit in the places where we are afraid and worry that we will be defeated in our spiritual struggle. Help us to resist our enemies of the world and the flesh and the devil until we finally receive victory when your kingdom comes in glory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We pray all this through the name of our King and your Son, Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 2. Um, we'll start at verse 5. Yeah, we'll start at verse 5. Um, um, we'll start at verse 5, but when I, when I skip, because there's a couple different parts, I'll just indicate for those who are following in their own time. Okay. Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. It got quieter in here, I noticed. Um, we have been looking at the book of Philippians together on and off throughout the summer. We're going to continue that together now. Before we do so, would you pray for me? Merciful God, give us the same attitude as Jesus, who emptied himself and was obedient to you all the way to his death on the cross. Make us eager to put others before ourselves and their needs before our own. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In this passage, uh, Paul gives us a poem about Jesus and two leaders to emulate, named Timothy and Epaphroditus. Before we can understand any of that, I want to tell you a story. This is called The Fisherman and His Wife. There was once a fisherman and his wife who lived together in a hovel by the seashore. And the fisherman went out every day with his hook and his line to catch fish. One day he was sitting with his rod and he was looking at the clear water as he sat. And at last the line went down to the bottom and when he drew it up he found a great flounder on the hook. And the flounder spoke to him and said, Fisherman, listen to me. Let me go. I am not a real fish but an enchanted prince. What good shall I be to you if you land me? I won't taste well. Put me back in the water again. Let me swim away. Well, said the fisherman, I'd much rather let you swim away. So he put him back in the clear water, and the flower sank to the bottom. And the fisherman got home and went home to his hovel. Well, husband, said his wife, have you caught anything today? No, said the man. Well, that is, I did catch a flounder, but uh, he was actually an enchanted prince, so I let him go. Wish for nothing? said the wife. No, said the man. What should I wish for? Oh dear, said the wife. It is so dreadful always to live in this evil-smelling hovel. You might as well wish for a little cottage. Go again and call him. Tell him we want a little cottage. I dare say he will give it to us. Go, 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 go. Be quick. And he went back. But this time the sea was green and yellow and not nearly so green. The flounder came swimming up to him and said, Now then, what does she want? Oh, the man said, Well, you know, my wife says I ought to have wished for something. She does not want to live any longer in a hovel and would rather have a cottage. Go home with you, said the flounder. She has it already. So the man went home and found, instead of a hovel, a little cottage. And his wife was sitting on a bench before the door. And there was a little house place, a beautiful bedroom, and a kitchen with all sorts of furniture. And in the back is a little yard and a garden full of vegetables and fruit. Look, says the wife, is this not nice? Yes, said the man, if only we can now be content. But she isn't content. A week later, she says, look here, husband, this cottage is really too confined. I would like very much to live in a stone castle. Go to your fish. He will send us a castle. The man feels very reluctant. Nevertheless, he goes. When he gets to the seaside, the water is purple and dark and gray and thick. He asks the flounder for a castle. We'll go home with you. She is already standing the man goes home, and sure enough, the cottage has been replaced by a great castle of stone, and the passages are decked with tapestries and the rooms with golden chairs and tables. But she isn't content. 
The next morning, she wakes up and looks at the countryside from her castle window, and she decides that she wants to be king of all that she sees. And when the fisherman comes to the sea, this time the water is dark gray and rushing far inland and has an ill smell. She wants to be king, he says. Sure enough, when the fisherman comes home, there's his wife sitting upon a throne of gold with diamonds. But now she wants to be emperor, and so the fisherman goes and he asks the flounder. Sure enough, he comes home and his wife is sitting upon a throne made of one entire piece of gold. And she has a great golden crown on her head, which is three yards high. And she has a scepter in one hand and a golden orb in the other. And so the man goes up to her and he says, well, wife, now you are emperor. Yes says she, now I am emperor. I am emperor, and next I will be pope. I must be pope, so go along to the fish. So he went. And the fisherman asks the flounder. He says, go home with you. She's pope already. And when he gets home, he finds himself before a great church packed full of candles and palaces all around, and his wife is clothed in a golden garment. She sits upon a very high throne, and she has three golden crowns on her head, and there is great priestly pomp, and all the emperors and kings of the world are kneeling before her and kissing her feet. And with that, they both go to bed. And she was as far as she has ever been from contentment. She could not sleep a wink for the entire night because she was tossing and turning, thinking of what she should be next. And so she tossed and turned from side to side the whole night through until dawn. As she watched through the window, the sun came. Ah. She thinks. Husband, she says, poking him in the ribs with her elbow, wake up and go back to the flounder. I want to become like God. The man was so startled, he fell right out of bed. He thought he misunderstood her. And so rubbing his eyes, he says, Wife, what did you say? Husband, she said, I will not have a single hour of peace until I myself can cause the sun and moon to rise. Go immediately. He put on his trousers and ran like a madman. Outside was such a storm that he could hardly stand on his feet. Houses Trees were blowing over the mountains, are shaking, and boulders are rolling from the cliffs into the sea. The sky is black as pitch. There is thunder and lightning, and in the sea there are great black waves as high as church towers, all capped with crowns of white foam. What does she want, then? The flounder asks. Oh, he says, she wants to become like God. Go home with you, said the flounder, and you will find her. In the hollow. <laughs> and there they sit this very day. not a story about a woman who can't be content, nor is it a story about the importance of knowing your role in society, as some will say. This is a story about us. 
and how we use what we have to our own advantage. Given a magic flounder, who wouldn't want to change their circumstances? Friends, we go through life and what we want is to go up. Paul says to the Philippians, it is normal in this world for everyone to look out for their own interests. Ah. Did you catch that? It goes by quickly. Friends, the fisherman's wife isn't brash or brazen or immoderate. The fisherman's wife simply does what we would probably do to Use the flounder's power to elevate ourselves. How do I know that? Well, I don't have a magic flounder, you say. No, we don't. But we certainly use everything else. Have you ever noticed how in an argument sometimes appeal to their own virtues? Like one person says, you are a mean person for saying that. And the other person says, well, at least... I make my bed every time mom asks. Why do we do this? Well, because somehow it raises us morally above another person. Why is it that we put only good things on our resume and not also the bad? Why do we not present ourselves as a holistic picture to a potential employer or a potential date? Because we want to be seen in the best possible way, even if it is not the whole truth. Because we want it to set us above the competition. Have you ever noticed that in an apartment building or a high-rise, it's the top units that are the most expensive and not the bottom ones? Which is a little bit crazy because it's so much harder to move in and out. But why is that? Well, it's the view. But maybe it's something else. Why is it important to have an honorable reputation? Why do we celebrate when people get promoted and not when they stay the course with an unchanged position for 35 years? Because we want to go up. Because we think that going up is the path to joy. We think that if we can go up, we will just be happy. Right? If we can go up in more money or a better house or a new partner, then suddenly life won't be hard like this anymore. If we can go up in a reputation or become a star athlete or the star of the show or get perfect grades, then we won't be overlooked anymore. We won't be just part of the mass of normal people. If we go up in a promotion or work for a bigger company, we will be important person of influence. If we go up by getting accepted by more popular friends, then we'll know that we matter. And we all want to know that we matter. And to matter in this world, you have to go up. But there is, of course, one problem with this. Many times, we wind up overlooking or stepping on the Paul says, in this world, it is normal that people look out for their own interests. But this is not what Paul commends Timothy and Epaphroditus for. Did you notice that? Their names are hard to say. Maybe they're unfamiliar. Timothy was Paul's fellow church planner and 
church worker. Paul picks him up along the way in a missionary journey. He travels with Paul. You might think that for Paul to choose a helper and a confidant, he would choose the best. The one who came from the best seminary and had the best references, the best mind for things. But no, in fact, Timothy comes from a suspicious family background. He comes from a mixed family background. His father's Greek and his mother's Jewish. He has a Greek name and not a Jewish one, and he's young. Which is why Paul seems to go out of his way to demonstrate the fact that Timothy, in spite of this, has in fact proven himself. More than that, it seems like in terms of his personality, he's timid and he's shy. He's probably not your classic take-charge personality at all. And yet Paul says that unlike all the others, Timothy will genuinely care about you. Timothy looks out for the interests of King Jesus in a world where people are only interested in themselves, and the thing that King Jesus is interested in is you. Well, then Paul goes on to recommend this other guy, Epaphroditus, and he is the one, it seems like, who brought the letter from Philippi all the way to Rome. Now, that's quite a distance, and their air travel's not so good. Well, he found out where Paul is imprisoned. He tracked him down through word of mouth. He walked there, and somewhere along the way, he gets very, very, very ill. He almost dies. In fact, he's so ill, he almost died, and if that had happened, Paul says, well, that would have just sent me right over the edge. That would have been a sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow that was so heavy, I simply could not have borne it, but God spared a path of his life and me. But you see, Paul goes out of his way to advocate for Epaphroditus too. Because for some reason, it seems like the church community kind of would rather him stay with they were kind of hoping that Paul might send Timothy instead. So Paul tells them, I have to send Epaphroditus back to you. And here's why. What makes Epaphroditus important and why does Paul lift him up? Because he was faithful in a very hard circumstance for the good of his church. And he kept going, even at risk to his own life. That's how much he loves you. In fact, Paul thinks so highly of him that he's sending him right back there. He thinks it is so important, it is necessary for their growth that this person come back to their community. Look at that. Paul thinks that these two servants are so important that if he can't be there, which he can because he's in chains, they have so much to give their church that he would rather send them than himself. Paul says, in this world, it is normal that people look out for their own interests. But here are two men, albeit young and awkward, sickly, who are an exception. You know, the ancient world was not so different from ours. In their world, the Roman Empire told stories about heroes just like we do. They told stories about heroes who were praised for being powerful and beautiful 
for conquering their enemies and rising above the competition and their own circumstances. And churches, like people, can get confused about these things. We can start to think that we too should be trying to go up, to get bigger, to become more prominent, to add power and prestige to ourselves, for we too want to know that we're important. So Paul reminds us of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, who was young and a foreigner and inexperienced and shy, and Epaphroditus, who was somehow awkward and whom they'd be okay with leaving behind for a while. And yet Paul says these are the guys that are worth emulating. Not because they're smart or confident or successful, but because they show genuine love even when being overlooked by their community. They are worth emulating because they are people who are a little bit like Jesus in a world where it is normal to look out for your own interests. For friends, at the center of this passage is a poem that Paul tells us about Jesus, whom Paul lifts up to us. He lifts up Jesus, who is worthy, because he didn't lift himself up. Jesus is put before us, lifted as high as possible, because he went down. He is someone that we should praise and admire and study and devote ourselves to because in a world where everyone is lifting themselves up, he was already at the top and he came down instead. We do not realize this, but my friends, in a world where it is normal for everyone to use what they have to their own advantage, what we are doing is trying to grasp at what God already has. And God, having it, didn't use it to his advantage. Instead, he let it go and gave it all up to be with us. Jesus didn't have to grasp anything at all. He already had it. Instead, he comes down to give it to us. Jesus is lifted up to us as a model and a hero who is not like the normal pattern at all. In fact, he's the opposite. He demonstrates weakness and humility and difference, and what he does is he shows us a different path to glory and joy. He is that path, showing us that power is demonstrated in your willingness to give it up, strength demonstrated in restraint, honor demonstrated in service, glory revealed in humility. And friends, he does all of this not only as our hero example, but as our Savior. You know, Kate was right. We play a role. But the only reason that she can say is that we can do it imperfectly is because Jesus has already done it perfectly on our behalf. The reason that we have the same approach of humility and service and patience and kindness in our relationships is because they are the path to joy for us. But they are still the places where God is to be found today. Not necessarily in a castle, or a palace, or a cathedral, maybe a hovel, definitely in bread and wine.
Friends, I wonder, would you join me in sending together the prayer that Kate led some of our younger folks in a moment ago. Let's say this together. You can follow me. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to come to earth as a human. Help us to be humble like he was. And put others before ourselves. Thank you for forgiveness and grace. Thank you for your love. We love you, God. Friends, the Lord teaches us, reminds us of his story, but he also invites us to participate in it, which we get to do in a small and real way at this table, which God has prepared for us. And on Family Sundays, we change the words that we use a little bit for our communion liturgy so that we can all participate in it a little bit better. So friends, what I am saying is that here at this table, or whether you are at a table at home, the Lord has prepared this table. It's His, and He invites us to come. So let's give thanks together. Friends, say it with me. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Set your hope on God. And be trust in our whole life. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Friends, this is the table of the Lord, and He invites all who love and trust Him alone for their salvation to sit with Him to enjoy this, to share this joyful feast. It is our joy to say thank you to God for this meal and for us today and always. Pray with me. We thank you, God, creator of all. You gave us life and loved us before we even knew you. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. His death freed us from sin. His resurrection gives us new life. His return will bring us to live in God's house forever. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit make this bread and cup a holy meal of faith. Amen. Friends, you get to ask some questions. Here's the first one. Why do we come to this table? We come to this table because Jesus invited us here. To remember him, Jesus tells us to eat this broken bread and drink this cup in faith and to keep doing this until he comes again. In this meal, God tells us that our sins have been completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken and Jesus' blood was shed. And also, God tells us that the Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ through Jesus and one with all other Christians. Let us all together, young and old, new and familiar, remember the story of how this meal began. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was eating with his disciples, and like always, he took some bread. He thanked God and broke it. But on this last night with his friends, he added some wonderful words, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, uh, when they had finished eating, he took a cup, and he said, This cup, makes you sons and daughters in my blood. Drink this. 
humanity. So now, following Jesus' example and command, we take this bread and this cup, which are ordinary things in the world that Christ has made special. And so even today, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember Jesus' death.
wait till everyone has had a chance to eat. And now that we have, would you stand, friends, and let's give thanks to Jesus. Lord, for your amazing sacrifice that has made us clean. Whoa. Friends, go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Please stick around for some coffee and fellowship. 